0: Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, fresh off of a week in Vegas. I still have all of my fingers, all of my toes, all of my limbs, none of my money. But I'm joined by Michael Brunson and Brian Christopherson. Uh, gentlemen, how was your spring break? What did you do? Give me something fun. Brunson, we'll start with you. You have endless amounts of fun.
2: <laughs> I, I have nothing but fun. Um, I watched a lot of Nebraska baseball. That's how I let my hair down a little bit is uh, <laughs> watching baseball. So
0: I lost it, large gobs of money over the week and then came back to Nebraska baseball. And I think I was more disappointed watching him get one hit than seeing me lose to, you know, a constant string of five card ran 21s on the blackjack table.
2: It's it probably felt the same if we're being honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a little bit. <laughs> A little bit, BC. What about you? What did you do last week? Uh
1: yeah, nothing. There's nothing to spend a lot of time on. I put my hammock off up. It got blown down. I took it down. Nobody wants to hear more about my hammock. So I watched a lot did it of get basketball. Snowed
0: on? You, you uh, put your
1: hammock out and then it snowed. Um, no, no. what I then I, it got blown over. Um, so yeah, it's been sort of a mess. But that's a whole other story. Uh, basically, I was just uh. I don't know. My, my couch and I are like married now, you know, like I just sat there and watched basketball like for 72 hours with occasionally getting, getting up to go to the bathroom. And I'm, maybe I didn't even do that. Who knows? I'm not going to share all those secrets of how I spend my March madness. What was the best game that you watched? Uh, I thought Carolina Baylor uh, just because of the epic potential of the collapse was there. And then I had to go run an errand, and I had a local uh, local great Kevin Kugler was able to bring it home for me on the radio while I was sitting in a Menards parking lot. That's always kind of fun when you hear uh, old Kooks on the radio, and um, you're like, I know that guy. And here he's, he's calling an event like this, and I'm sitting in a Menards parking lot. So I like that. How would Who he handle the- it if you tweeted at him as old would he Did he? <laughs> like that? <laughs> probably, probably. I, I'm not close enough to say that probably, but yeah, I, I, I told him that I was in the Menards parking lot listening to it. It's like a tradition every year. I feel like I end up at a hardware store listening to a March Madness game of him calling uh, the end of a potential upset or something weird happening or whatever. Nice. Who, did, who did Gonzaga play in their second round match?
2: I'm blanking.
0: I am too. It was a close game for a while. They were it was Memphis, and they were leading by twelve or losing by twelve, I think. That that was point.
2: that was the best game I saw. I know you didn't ask, but that was like that. <laughs> was, that felt like it was like a different. It was like a different sport than what I've been used to watching the last like four months.
0: Well, I was going to ask you specifically because I know you inhabited this city, uh, though it was not the the higher ed institution that you work for. Did you watch? San Francisco take on Murray State at the end of the night on Thursday.
2: I did, and they—that's—that's that's a fun program, and and I, you know, I watch a lot of West Coast Conference basketball, anyways. But they, they've put together a nice little uh, a nice little team the last few years. I, I was hoping they'd make it a little bit farther. They did, but uh, it, it's that that league has needed a lot of. Like another team to kind of step up that's not Gonzaga or St. Mary's. We're probably getting way too in the weeds here, but um, I I did watch. Yeah, that would have been my vote for most fun game because you had –
0: I don't know what his actual last name is, but in the sports book, people kept calling him Booyah. He he basically just put San Francisco on his back for the last four minutes of that regulation. Just knocked down Major 3 after Major 3 was getting to the rim. Uh, That game was an absolute blast to watch with a bunch of people. I don't even know. We weren't even in like a good sports book. We were just in like a tiny one that, that just carved out because popularity has exploded so much for those things. But it was uh it was, it was a blast. That was by far the best live game experience. I think I, I got uh, other than Richmond, Iowa and the amount of sad Hawkeye fans roaming around Vegas around that time. Uh, that
1: for for Shaden Freud reasons, was, was <laughs> you know up there. Yeah, R- rough weekend for Iowa hoops after after a great regular season, men and women. Well, then they got to watch Iowa State make it to the Sweet
0: Sixteen. Yeah, couldn't have been that any worse. That word. barely made the tournament.
1: TCU Arizona was great too. TCU, th- I liked that game because TCU Jamie Dixon's team reminded me of like his pit teams from like 2005. And uh, I love those teams as ugly as it, some of their games were just how they would just take people in the alley and beat them up. That that felt like TCU.
0: <laughs> I, I never imagined that VC style of basketball is like the mid 2000s pit where if you can get to 56 <laughs> points on them, you're going to win the game, but you're going to not win the next one because you're going to be hurting for
1: it. I, lo- I Well, I love that pit team. Remember the pit team that got to the elite eight? I think they lost yeah. by a point and yeah. I, I, Took them. I was riding them. I remember in my bracket all the way, and it was really heartbreaking when they lost. So I've always kind of felt a connection with Jamie Dixon because of that squad. Uh is
0: it is it DeWan Blair that they had? Yeah. That you know he didn't have any ACLs. He's like a six-six power forward, and you couldn't stop him from just getting every rebound.
1: Just built like a brick. Yeah, yeah. that is what the whole roster was. That's what TCU looked like. Arizona. Arizona was like uh, Apollo Creed at the end of Rocky 1 after that game. They won, but it's like ain't, ain't no rematch. They didn't want any part of playing those guys again. All right. Uh, okay, so we actually have a lot to
0: get into, and we just spent five minutes talking about last week's NCAA tournament, which, you know, <laughs> wasn't going to include Nebraska after their first day loss to Western Illinois. But uh, we'll get to basketball for Nebraska later. It's been a busy last, oh, what? last five, six days for Nebraska basketball. A lot of news that has come out of it. So we'll get to that towards the end of the podcast. We'll start with spring football, which is back underway. Nebraska had their first practice after taking a break. On Tuesday, we got to meet with three assistant coaches, a handful of specialists, a couple wide receivers. And so we'll just keep it real simple. BC, what is one thing that you learned yesterday at the media availability as Nebraska started spring football back up?
1: Brody belt is part of this thing. And I don't think it's just a spring story. Um, I mean, maybe other guys are going to come along and push him out of the way, but I don't think that's going to be easily done. I think there's a role for him within the rotation. And it's the, why it's interesting is uh, Mickey Joseph had a huge compliment for him as playing as good a football as anybody on the team, but also bill Bush brings him up. Casey Thompson has brought him up. Omar Manning said, and I heard this from someone else who saw the practice, You know, yesterday, every time you looked up, Belt was score- in the end zone or making a play. So he was having one of those practices. So keep in mind, that's where some of this feedback comes from as it's fresh off of that. Um, so I don't want to overhype what his role is going to be, but I, he's just going to be a part of it. Like He's definitely making an off-season statement to this new coaching staff on offense that I can be used in a lot of different ways. And um, I think he's a very good athlete. Like he's a, he's a, he was always thought of that coming out of Millard West, and he's sort of always been on the cusp of something, of maybe helping more. He looked good when he played against Wisconsin last year. So I, I, I think there's real legs to that one. Yeah, I mean, Bill Bush
0: definitely added to the Brody Belt talk, talking about how he feels like he's one of his best punt returners. Uh, And he's really challenging him to be more dynamic and explosive because he thinks he has that in him. All right. Michael Bruns, what do you got that is not Brody Belt related?
2: Uh, Well, we got to talk to Brian Buscini for the first time yesterday. It was Specialist Day, as you mentioned. Um, The thing I learned is that Brian Buscini apparently has a NIL deal with a local dentist um, that's coming out soon. So look out for that. But... You don't uh, want to give away the tagline from it? Nah, I mean he did, but I, I don't want to continue to hit that, but it it's kick out kick out uh kick out cavities or kick out tooth decay or something. Kick away the decay. Yeah, kick away the decay, that's right. Sorry. Um <laughs> see you I, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't do it justice. But yeah, you
0: you sold that like most of my jokes. Really I appreciate know. it.
2: <laughs> No, I mean, I, I he's a he's an important piece of the special teams puzzle, and you know, I I think he was pretty honest about the way that he's kicked so far, uh, just getting used to kicking at Nebraska. Um, I continue to think that you know, if he comes in as advertised, I mean, that that's worth a lot of field position, a lot of non shanked punts, which have become a hallmark of Nebraska special teams the last few years. So it it was, I think his biggest thing has been adjusting to the fishbowl at Nebraska. He's obviously not Montana anymore. Uh, he, he mentioned the, you know, the thousands of Twitter followers he picked up and all the interviews he had to do when he committed um, as being a pretty good sign that he wasn't, uh, wasn't in Montana. So um, I, I think, I think he's going to be a significant improvement at, at punter based, you know, continue over what Nebraska's had.
0: All right, I uh, I was over there when Bill Bush was talking and um I I mean I can't promise Nebraska won't be leaking oil on special teams in 2022, but it definitely feels like they've at least got the kind of guy who's addressing as many things as he possibly can. And you know, they did the thing that they did last year with with kickoffs. They went out and they got a specialist that was better than what they had on the roster. And so Brian Bushini is is going to do that for them punting wise. Uh and then you have you Know you have a place kicking competition that he didn't really get into because Timmy Bleak Road isn't on campus yet, and there wasn't seemingly a whole lot to be discussed with that. But we'd spent a lot of time on on punt coverage, on punt return, on some of the returners. I mean, the, the key names to you know Trey Palmer, uh certainly gonna be involved. He was he was at LSU, he's someone that Bill Bush knows and, and feels like he has a comfortable uh level of, of what. Trey Palmer is going to do and the decision making that he's going to have and then the other name Tommy Hill um, also going to be really involved in terms of punt returning and potentially kick returning so two newcomers there they gave Nebraska some options Um, one of the things that was was a problem for Nebraska at times last year was just simply securing the ball Cam Taylor Britt had some issues over the course of last season and even the year before And, and Bill Bush basically said like that's got to be their number one priority. Like The the possession has to turn over to Nebraska or they're they're doing a disservice to the rest of the team. And so a lot of focus on that. They haven't put in the team stuff yet for punt return, so they've still got some work to go there. But he said kickoff is fully installed, and he likes the direction that they're going. And again, having Bill Bush, instead of just being in the background where he helped with some of it last year, being able to to directly apply these things and, and to speak to these guys, um, and the changeover in players, I do feel better about where Nebraska is at specialist wise in 2022 than I have in the previous couple seasons. So we'll see if those are famous last words. But I, I just think sometimes just switching out the parts is the easiest thing to do for, for special teams. And Nebraska started that trend last year, and I think they're going to continue it fully uh, in 2022. Uh, it was pro day yesterday. Pro day. Do we want to? Do we want to dive into what Brian Christofferson saw? As Nebraska had several players work out and um, put up some some good testing numbers. From the looks of things,
1: uh, yeah, it, they did all right. I think Cam Jurgens, um, kind of beyond the numbers, it's sort of the on-field stuff that's hard to put into print and describe to people. But like it, it felt like he was getting a ton of attention and just the way he moves as an offensive lineman. Uh, is going to uh, grab them. I think Cam has made – Cam Jurgens has made his uh, stock shoot up, um, you know, over the last couple months. And I think Cam Taylor-Britt is helping his stock every time he steps out there, too, uh, just as a guy who they – I think he's got a lot of good film against top-notch receivers that should speak pretty loudly, where he did a job on, like, Jahan Dotson and David Bell-type guys – Uh, But then he's, you know, he ran, he went and ran that really fast 40 at the combine. He didn't run the other day. uh, But um, you can tell he's a guy who's just really um, encouraged with where he stands now, sort of as it heads to the next part of this draft process. Of guys who weren't at the combine, I thought Samore Toure um, had himself a nice day. He looked really good running the routes, caught everything I saw and he ran uh, a 443 um that's what the, they were clocking it at down on the field that wasn't just uh samore saying that sometimes you get those forty times which you're like that's embellished a little bit and we've joked about that before but sounded like it was in the legit 44s four, form and I'll tell you what it look I'm not I haven't mastered the like my eyes see it like oh that's a 446 but it I, the people around me, we looked at each other like that was good. Like, we, you, you know, when a guy rips off of fast time. So he did. Damian Daniels, I don't know quite what to make of where he sits in the eyes of the NFL scouts. It's he didn't lift and do some of the things, he did run and he was on the field. Probably most interesting is that he's trimmer than he's ever been since he was a sophomore in high school and he's at 302 pounds and he kind of just wanted to show people. I can lose the weight if you need. I can put it on. I can be what size you want me to be. I can fit a lot of different roles. And so um, it was a good vibe over there though yesterday. It was a lot of guys who uh, really appreciate the Husker program and were're proud to be back. And it was sort of like a little reunion type feel um you know with guys sticking around answering questions for as long as anybody had questions for them and giving hugs and stuff like that so i don't know i kind of warm the old uh the old heart a little bit uh, as you watch some of those guys and they said their goodbyes to uh to the turf there on on uh, the other on <laughs> other things i'm sure
0: that he's not gonna say it in as many words but did you get any sense that that maybe
1: damian daniels wishes he could have reconsidered that decision I don't know. Um, I think it was tough for him. And I, I understand where he's coming from though. And he said it sort of in his quote, basically like, you know, you give five years to a place, it's always going to be a, a part of me, but it was just time. Like I've, and I, and I, I, get it. The, the whole COVID freeze thing added that possibility of being in college for like six years. <laughs> We've seen guys who for various reasons have been there seven years and I can see where at some point you're a 23 year old man or whatever. And you're like, I want to see what's next. I don't want to put any more miles on this vehicle um, at the college level um, when they're, when I think I can play at the, up at the pros. So I do, I do wonder if he's unsure about if he's going to get picked or not, you know, or if it's going to work out exactly as maybe was hoped back in December, but I also think he's just saying, you know what? I made my decision. It was a tough call, and there's also a reason I made it because I'd been around for a long time, and sometimes you just got to go on to the next thing.
0: Brooks, what, what? is Marcus is is Marcus Mendoza
2: the uh, the pro day MVP for you still? Yeah, uh, for guys that you basically didn't hear from for five years, and then he comes in and just rips off like top top numbers at every possible yeah. um, event, but. I had one question, BC. What what has Cam Jurgens heard I, just since the the combine? Because I think he was a guy that caught a lot of national people by surprise with not only how he ran but how athletic he was.
1: Well, I think basically he's he's getting contacted by a lot of teams. So I mean, it's really promising, and it sounds like he's going to get a private, you know. Um, some private workouts with teams in the next week or two. So everything is good for him right now. And it's just a way like you can talk about 40 times and broad jumps and stuff like that. But when they got him out there and they're and they and he just moves around at his size, it really is something to watch. And you had like um, 10 scouts, you know, right around him. And several of them were offensive line guys, I think. Um, you know, guys who represented the O-lines from different NFL teams, he's going to – I would not be shocked if he's a, in the first three rounds. I really wouldn't. Uh, I, th- I think he's that type of guy where um, he can play in this league for a decade if he can stay healthy. He's got those sort of tools, and uh, it's just a matter of the health and all that stuff, and you can move him around different places. So uh, he's going he's gonna to be successful. There's also a guy from Peru State – uh, who showed up? Speaking of Marcus Mendoza, and he ran a four three eight, which was pretty cool. Um, and I, you know, I guess tested through the roof. I don't know if I'll mean anything for him with a draft or anything like that, but you know, maybe get himself on a roster and get a crack at it. So those stories are kind of fun to watch. Did you put any reps of two twenty five up? <laughs> yeah, that's as much as we joke about uh, me getting up at five a.m. and stuff like that. Uh, that would be a pathetic sight. Um, I wouldn't say Nebraska knocked it dead in the weight room the other day, like on the reps with the guys. There wasn't anybody who put up like 32 or anything like that. Um, I don't have the number in front of me. I think Stilley had 22. Maybe he was tops. There was uh, some single-digit guys. Austin Allen had eight, but he did say, he said, I knew that was going to be rough. He said, "I got long, skinny arms. I knew, but I wanted to put something on paper. I knew going in that was not going to be my strong point. I did it. That's what it is. Let's move on with the football."
0: Who? So, is Cam Jurgens your your best bet to go first out of that group?
1: Yeah, I think so. What do you guys think?
0: I don't know. I honestly, I feel like they have three guys that, if any of them were the first one to go, and I expect three will get drafted for sure. And maybe, maybe Austin Allen is the fourth there at the end. Uh, but Cam Taylor Britt had like a monster combine, and he measured in bigger than I think people expected. He was more fluid and ran better than people expected. Um, and then Jojo Doman is, is such a, a, versatile player that I could see where, you know, a defensive coordinator could really stump for him on draft day because of what he could kind of do. And, you know, you're going to get a special teams guy out of it. So it, I I could see any argument for those three guys. And and I think probably four end up getting taken. What do you think, Prince?
2: Yeah, I, I would say probably, I, I would expect either of the cams to be the first one picked. Um, Doman, I think he's going to end up having a pretty nice career. I think he just seems to me a guy that's more going to be more fit um, and just kind of finding the right team. And so I don't know. I mean, there's there's some teams that need centers out there, and I, I think Juergens has is, is kind of put himself in the conversation with the kind of top group of available centers um, that, that maybe he wasn't there you know, at the start of this process, but I, I, when you asked my, my first thought was Taylor Britt, just because I, I think he's athletic enough. He's big enough that, uh, that, that I, I think he's going to probably go first. And and it's just still remarkable to me that he was a guy that when he got to Nebraska, he never played corner before. Yeah. So there's still, I think, uh, probably in the minds of NFL teams, some, some learning there to do as well. I, I promise
0: you, Travis Fisher is using the hell out of Cam Taylor Britt's combine performance and the fact that he had never played corner before as he's talking to these recruits because the the there's just been in the last couple of days talking with different defensive backs and there's about three of them now they all can't help but point out that Nebraska and Travis Fisher are producing DBs that go to the league they've had one so far in, in Lamar Jackson he wasn't drafted but I think they're they're banking on Cam Taylor Britt being a big part of this. So.
2: Yeah, I think Travis Fisher mentioned that specifically um, when, yeah. when he talked right before spring break about the fact that he was he was new to the position when he got to Nebraska. So I'm, I'm sure that's the case.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
0: Let's let's look at a little recruiting here. I mentioned it right there. I've been talking with a few different players. It feels like Nebraska's lining up a bunch of visits already for their spring game, but they had a couple guys in town as of late, the biggest of which Caden Green, an offensive lineman from Lee Summit North in the Kansas City area. Came up for his second visit to Nebraska. His first came during the self guided era of the spring of 2021. I don't think Caden Green enjoyed self-guided visits uh i don't know that nebraska would be in this position if they weren't able to get him back for this second visit but everything went really well on monday i mean i think nebraska put themselves squarely in his top group he's going to release that top group here on wednesday we're recording this wednesday morning it could already be out by the time you listen to it i expect nebraska to be in there and i expect nebraska to get an official visit and they put themselves in a battle with miami and michigan missouri and Oklahoma, I think those are going to be the five teams for Caden Green, and he's a top 247 offensive lineman, top 100 player in the country, would be a huge recruiting win. Bill Bush really heavily involved. Scott Frost heavily involved here. And Nebraska really wants to sink its hooks into Lee's Summit North as a football program. A lot of players that are uh, going to be coming through those hallways and a lot of reasons for Nebraska to be in that school in the evaluation period. So Caden green was the biggest name this week and, and they went, uh, it went really, really well. Chance Rucker, one of the aforementioned defensive backs that I've talked with. He, he said the reason that he wanted to come to Nebraska is that he heard that Travis Fisher could get defensive backs into the league. And so he wanted to meet them for himself. He wanted to meet the staff said he spent a lot of time with Nebraska's whole staff. He really liked the practice. He's about the fourth guy to really mention the energy that is, in Nebraska's practices and and around the building uh, seems to be pretty upbeat, pretty positive and and fast moving. So Chance Rucker had a really good visit. Nebraska is going to be involved in that one with Arkansas and Baylor, Uh, Michigan State, Houston, I think is another team to keep an eye on there. But he's a four-star defensive back. Um, I think he is in the top two, four, seven for the composite. So uh, two really nice visits for out-of-state guys. And then a legacy in Caleb Benning stopped by on Tuesday. Kind of the interesting thing there is Nebraska hasn't committed in one way or the other position-wise. Mickey Joseph's keeping the door open as a wide receiver. Uh, Eric Shenander's recruiting him as a safety. And so he's basically hearing from both of those guys, and he spent time at e- watching each position. I suspect he would be a defensive back, but I think Caleb Benning's recruitment's going to blow up a little bit this spring. He's going to go down to Vanderbilt. I would imagine he leaves with an offer on Saturday. He's going to go over to Iowa in a week or two, probably going to end up with an offer there. And so I, I think that Caleb Benning is is going to be one of the next in-state players to really have a little helium behind his name here in the uh, spring recruiting process. So good week overall. And then, like I said, Braden Marshall, Trey Wilson, guys, uh, there's there's another defensive back out of Florida, locking in their spring game visits. And we'll see. I mean, Nebraska can have official visits that weekend too. We'll see if they use any or if they're just trying to collect as many guys who can come in unofficially and then bring those kids in for June, like they normally try to do.
2: Spring game is going to be a big visit weekend. I mean, regardless of whether they use the, the officials or not. No doubt about it. No doubt about it.
0: All right. Do we, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to throw in on recruiting? I was gone all last week. I'm sure it was hot and heavy. Lots of exciting
2: things happened. Um, no, I mean, where are we sit now, I mean, we're post spring break. Um, I mean, wh- where do you feel like Nebraska is at for this class? I mean, you've written about it on the site a little bit. Obviously, they're in a better spot than they were in 2022. But what, uh, I guess, give the like 500 foot view of what Nebraska is at right now. I think they have a handful of wide receivers that they've kind of narrowed focus on,
0: which makes it really interesting. One name we haven't talked about so far is Malachi Coleman. And I'll get your guys' thoughts on Georgia coming in there here in a bit. But um, I I think they have a handful of wide receivers they've kind of narrowed in on. And so that's kind of how Mickey Joseph seems to work. He gets a big group, but he gets down to, uh, you know, a select few and then he starts pushing on those guys and you see kind of where they end up. And and two of them, Jaden Doss and Joshua Manning are right there in Kansas City malachi coleman's here in lincoln uh benny from from lincoln high is is still here from nebraska quite a bit so there's there's certainly some just athletic wide receivers right inside the 500 mile radius to say nothing of the guys that are down in texas and and florida and louisiana that we know that they're going to be recruiting as well so receiver is is pretty interesting um I am curious what Brian Applewhite does, both in terms of helping Nebraska in the state of Texas and what happens at running back. They've got several offers out. Uh, we'll see what direction things kind of go there. But Brian Applewhite's name has come up with almost every kid from Texas. He's done a really nice job. He uses his year or two at TCU to build some relationships and then has carried them over to Nebraska. And I, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, I do feel like it's been overblown what Texas and, and Nebraska is leaving for the big 10 has done for them in Texas. I still think they can go into that state and have some success, but Brian Applewhite's opening a few doors there. And really the big thing, it just comes down to what are they going to do in the trenches? I mean, I think that's just kind of the the question for the season. It's a question for the recruiting class. Donovan Rayola has started to have some offensive linemen come in and he can attach his name with them. He's not the primary for a lot of these guys. And I think that's fine. Uh, but if you can use, the, the recruiting prowess of, of Mickey Joseph and Bill Bush to get those offensive linemen in and they meet Donovan Rayola and they can connect that way. He doesn't have to be the day-to-day guy if that's not his strong suit. He can just be the guy that basically presents this is what you're going to be coached by. And, and for Caden Green, that was great. He's fine with that. He loves talking with Bill Bush. And when he needs to talk with Donovan Rayola, he's good with that too. So I, I think they have a, a pretty good strategy there on the offensive line. Defensive line is going to be all over the map. I mean, we we will see what they end up doing with their front seven. They have a lot of needs in that area. You got to go get nose tackles. They're still looking on the transfer portal for help at nose tackle and and for outside linebacker from the edge. So, um, you know, those things are are really what's going to mark this class. I mean, they they have some nice pieces already. Uh, certainly you have a, a couple offensive linemen from in-state, and that makes it easier, but the, the trenches are really what we're going to be judging this class on, I think, by the time we get to December. I mentioned Malachi Coleman, Georgia coming in. At what point would you start to get worried if you're in Nebraska that you've got a bona fide national recruit on your hands that you're going to have to fight everybody for uh, as as this rolls on?
2: I mean, those are the battles you have to win, right? I mean, that that's – you can't lose a kid who plays his games at Seacrest. You really no. can't. You know, I mean those those are the but those are the types of athletes that Nebraska needs in its program, and you're going to have to beat some name programs to get those kinds of guys. I mean, I Malachi Coleman's the type of prospect that I would expect that whatever unofficial visits he takes, he's probably going to leave with an offer. Like I, you know, I, I know Texas was another school that he was probably looking at visiting soon. Um, you know, I I would not be surprised if he gets offered there. I mean, it it, he's such a unique athlete and and a guy that can help you in so many spots that it it just uh you know how much his recruitment kind of takes off, I think is almost um, you know, based on how many visits he wants to take, how many national events he wants to go to. He got off uh invited to the uh the All American Bowl in 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 January, which is obviously a prestigious thing. So I mean Nebraska has a head start here, um, which is the good thing. Mickey Joseph's involved, you know, Nebraska's really had him on campus a number of times. So, yeah, I mean, you you get worried that you have more competition for him, but I mean, that's the type of athlete he is. So, um, you know, when when you're trying to get away from three and nine and and get back to a winning program, you need more Malachi Coleman. So you better win those, those, uh, those battles.
1: BC, any thoughts? I feel like a lot of these this is really simplifying it, but I feel like Nebraska has put in the groundwork with a lot of recruits where they're in a they are going to be in a good position. And now I think it's going to be a matter of when the season rolls around showing those recruits whatever the, even if some of them commit, you know, in May or in the next month or they wait till the fall showing them this team is going to start winning 8 games or more routinely. And if they do that, um, I think a guy like Malachi Coleman, they've got the right guys at Nebraska with their hooks in them. Um, and I think uh, I I like Nebraska's chances no matter who comes at them. And I feel that way with some other guys. I think they've, they've done their due diligence with some instaters here of late. Um, even like a guy like Tyson Terry, you know, getting on him right off the bat. Um, As a freshman in high school, uh, you know, he's going to remember that when it comes his time to decide and stuff like that matters. But I do think we have now reached that point where it's like, do your work that sets it up. But now you got now you got to go win games. And if you do that and show that you can get a Malachi Coleman, maybe you can get uh, a Dylan Raiola, you know, but it's now you got to put that other piece of winning on the field to it. And uh, not just talking about well, this is going to happen some point soon. It's got to like sort of be in front of their eyes. Both uh, both
0: Georgia interested Malachi Coleman and Dylan Rayola. We'll see if they recruit Malachi Coleman the hardest as they've been doing for Dylan Rayola, as we learned on our message board this week. Uh, let's let's transition here. Let's let's jump over to Nebraska basketball. It has been busy. Around here, there have been more departures than incoming players, um, and there have been more staff changes than new staff members added. Brunts, what is what is the latest run through some of these? Actually, uh, do we want to go BC here? Or, uh, BC's our basketball guy. I tend to just hand it off to Brunts. Brunts, you're going to you're going to sit on the cooler bringing you in for baseball
1: in a bit. BC run through the latest. What what What's been going on with basketball over the last five or six days? Well Bruns certainly knows too, and he can help me out if I forget any of the 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 timeline here. I mean the biggest news was the dominoes start falling when uh Matt Abdelmassy uh and the Huskers parted ways. And I don't think that was a shocker, but it was the biggest uh it was the biggest uh item to drop because You know, he's so connected even to the current recruits, you know, that are in this 22 class, your Ramel Lloyds and guys like that, Blaze Keita. So it's going to be interesting to make sure that you can sort of lock those guys down and that they're still committed to the program, because I know Fred likes that class a lot. Um, so that was the first part. Um, and then they part ways with Doc Sadler and, you know, Doc can have a technically an assistant coaching role, but he was on the bench and everybody knows um, his significance as a former head coach to this program. Um, I thought, um, you know, in the, in the plus category, getting Sam Grissell out of North Dakota State is a nice Definitely bridge piece for this program of a guy who grew up loving Husker basketball. He's a six-six point guard uh, that put up really good numbers for North Dakota State last year. Really the last couple years, he's been a four-year player for them and a, definitely a, a two-year really good player. And so I think he immediately assumes sort of the spot as maybe your favorite at the point guard spot. That's what he talked with Fred Hoiberg about, and he'll have one year to play and sort of set a tone there. Um, So you get that addition and then you go into this week and you get uh, Bryce McGowan's not surprising anybody, but saying he's going to pursue the NBA. He's not coming back. There's no chance of him coming back. I know sometimes guys can dip a toe in the water and and still end up coming back to the program. That's not going to happen in this case. He's got an agent and he's ready to roll. And, uh, you know, I guess you could debate that a little bit, but I think most of us thought this was going to be a one year um adventure all along. And then I think it was interesting yesterday to complete the timeline. Eduardo Andre goes in the in the into the portal. And uh I don't know, does that suggest that maybe, you know, like a Derek Walker's coming back. Um, you know, and and obviously you hope that Keith is coming aboard uh from the JUCO ranks. Uh, so that's sort of what's all that's happened. I think probably the biggest news is the is the changing of uh, to the coaching staff. It's a complete shakeup. That's uh, in route. And Abdel Massey was, you know, the guy who was really in charge of configuring that roster and um, getting all those pieces together. And I, I feel like going forward, Nebraska might need, uh, you know, more, more of the old school approach where you got two or three guys sort of with their hands on it. And you're kind of, you're bouncing ideas off each other. I think maybe that's where this thing has to head. I don't want to completely crap on the work Abdel Massey did, though, because in a way I feel like he sort of did what he was called to do. He got talent here and maybe he didn't fit those pieces just right. But some of that's got to be on development and there's got, you know, the head man's got to have a big say on that, too, about, yeah, I like these pieces and how they work together. So um, but I do think it was time to switch and, and that's what they're doing. Is there any player or two that you're keeping your eye on as we go throughout the week that you're you're curious if
0: there isn't some potential movement? Would it be Walker to see if he's announcing that he's coming back or or kind of where are you at with that?
1: I think Walker coming back would be huge. And yes, um him. and then I, I think Trey is you're watching Trey McGowan's now, um, after his brother did what he did. Trey could technically come back another season. And I think a lot of people have kind of assumed they're they're paired together, but they're, they're going different ways. Like whatever Trey's doing is a different pursuit now than what his brother's doing. You know, if he wants to play somewhere else or, or how he wants to continue his basketball career, it's a, you know, it's not going to be like the NBA route, like his brother. So I think that's an interesting one. You know, Lat Latman is still um, has a year left to play. It's a, he, we have to see if he's going to announce something here soon, but I think Walker, and Trey probably jump out to me right now as like two guys who you would take back in roles, um, especially Walker. I think there's a big use for his body and just experience as you try to mold some guys around him and sort of use him as a bridge player to the future.
2: You, you could make a pretty, pretty compelling argument too, that there wasn't a player on the roster that developed as well as Derek Walker did this year either. I mean, I, I think, with another year at Nebraska. I mean, that that's a guy that you can kind of build an offense around. And, you know, I, I thought, especially as the year went on, I mean, he was probably their best option offensively. They started going through him a lot more just to set up everything else. So, I mean, that that's a, a really important decision they had coming up. The other thing that, that I would be watching too, you know, you've got Dennis Gates now, the, the head coach at Missouri, um, as we, this on Wednesday morning. His brother, Armand Gates, of course, is a Nebraska assistant. The uh, kind of natural connection there would be, okay, does he go link up with his brother in Columbia? Um, so, th- I mean, if that happens, then you have two um, assistant coaching openings, which certainly makes for a, a, a more uh, busy offseason for Fred Hoiberg, especially with the uh, the spring open period coming up soon. But uh, that, That's kind of the other thing I think you have to watch, too, is you know, whether there's more departures, um, or or whether they're able to, to keep things intact. Uh, I guess I'm somewhat curious if Matt
0: Abdel-Massa has been sort of the, the instrumental part of bringing the players in. Do you need to replace that position relatively quick to take advantage of the guys that are just now entering the transfer portal? Because Nebraska has to add more players. I mean, they're got to find scoring from somewhere. Um, and I don't know that you can just rely on Ramel Lloyd to be that scoring either. Like, they're, they they got to go get, you know, you're replacing Verge and you're replacing Bryce. Uh, that's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of nearly 40% of your scoring production last year. So uh, you got Sam, Sam Grisel. We'll see how the jump from the summit to the Big Ten goes. I think he's going to be pretty good but they they have another piece or two they have to go find and with no Matt Abdelmassa running that show i i am really kind of curious how that comes about in terms of player acquisition
1: yeah i, I think you're exactly right i do, and i think it has to happen fast i mean that 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 thing's moving right now um as far as programs all over the country that you know just got eliminated from the tournament that, that that's the difference sort of now is everybody is putting their hand into that portal now. And I feel like when Fred was at, when he was at Iowa state, they were very quick and smart with how they use the transfers and stuff like that. Um, And they developed those guys too. Um, But now it's, it's just like elbows out, everybody's in there and it makes it much more difficult. And then the guys in the 22 class need to know Like, okay, who are the, who am I working with here? You know, that's gotta, that's gotta be established in the next couple of weeks um, to make sure you nail down those guys. And I'm not trying to say any of those guys are, are walking out the door, but we have seen examples um, of guys who have been uh, signed. And, you know, after there's been a coaching change, there's, there, there's been movement by those recruits to another program. So, um, yes, they gotta get their, he's got to get his staff in place. And I would think though, that was part of the discussions. Honestly, with Trev Alberts, you have, you would assume if they're meeting every week and talking about a plan and Trev liking the plan, there had to have been some specifics within that about this is who I would go after to put on my staff. And I, I, I can't imagine that wasn't part of that talk and that there's not some good ideas about where he's going or that that's already, uh, being moved on as we speak. All right. Well, we will finish up
0: with Nebraska baseball, which has now replaced Nebraska basketball as the depressing topic on this podcast, which is incredible because you know there's lots of different ways one could be depressed. Nebraska baseball has now earned that uh that title. Brunt, what the hell are you watching these weekends?
2: Yeah, it's uh it's been it's been tough slugging. I mean, they had that that stretch of seven games in eight days that was kind of thrown off by um, whether You you had you're playing U and O or excuse me, Omaha on Sunday and Monday. Do they not you like
0: U anymore?
2: Are they out on that? It, it's Omaha, which Omaha. which I, I don't know the the the, the old Omaha guy and me. Well, they'll always be U and O to me, but. For branding purposes, we'll refer to them as Omaha. Um, lovely Park, by the way, they've got. That, that's a nice ball field. Anyways, uh, so they they have to play Sunday, Monday against Omaha. They then come back and play Tuesday, Wednesday against New Mexico State, off Thursday, and then play um, the, the weekend series against Texas a and Corpus Christi. And it was a, a very mixed bag, like a lot of walk-off wins. Um, you know, some, again, continued shaky fielding. I, I think that Nebraska used the same lineup once uh, during that stretch of games. And that to me is, is I know it's signaling a, a team that, that's trying to find guys in the right roles and who can hit lead off, who can hit where. And it, it's, you know, after 19 games, is still a team that's trying to figure itself out. And by the way, you your guy that was starting on Friday, Kyle Perry exits a game with what's likely a uh, or what, what's appearing to be a season ending arm injury. So you're you're kind of lacking veterans on the pitching staff anyways and now you're you're even thinner there. So you know the it, it ended with the, the 21 to four lost to Texas and' Corpus Christi the worst loss since uh first worst home loss since 1992 um, if they hadn't walked in two runs in the ninth it would have been the worst home loss since 1956 against Missouri. So not the way you want to end that stretch of games at the same time, you know Nebraska was running on fumes pitching wise. they basically had one more pitcher left in the tank on Sunday otherwise it was, you know, the last guy was going to have to wear it or you got position players um, <laughs> entering into that conversation too. So it's uh, it's been a rough start to the season. There's no way getting around that. Obviously, they had expectations um, that, that I think maybe were a little bit higher than where they should have been, but uh, that's where they're at now. And uh, Big Ten play starts on Friday. You, uh, you mentioned – position players pitching who give me, give me
0: three you'd like to see from Nebraska baseball, take them out. Uh,
2: I don't even know. Um, They've got a couple two way guys that, uh, that, that might, might've been options, but I don't even know. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any, but I mean, Griffin Everett, I mean, he's done everything else this year. Why not have him <laughs> pitch too? Um, you know, maybe that was an option, but it, uh, it, it just, it, it's been the pitching situation has been unfortunate this year because the veterans that they had or have, um, you know, have been relied on a lot, and at the same time, you're trying to bring along a lot of young guys, and it's kind of going. I think as you would uh, maybe expect that situation to play out. Are you more concerned about the pitching as a
0: interconference play or the hitting, which has been pretty non-existent?
2: The hitting. I mean, you would hope that by now you would have a little bit better idea of which roles guys would fall into. I mean, you right now you, you have shuffled the leadoff spot a ton. I know that's something they've been searching for quite a bit. Um, You know, Griffin Everett's been hitting in the middle of the lineup, but that's been about the, the only consistent bat that they've had. Um, And, and you kind of contrast that to last year where I, I don't know that they switched the top five in their lineup at any point during the season. So, that that's the the challenge that they have and and you need guys like bryce matthews to to hit more and max anderson to hit more and cam to start hitting i mean he's he's hitting the ball well but he's you know flying out at the track into a, a really strong wind or hitting it right at somebody right on the screws so I, I feel like that can come around but um that that's a concern that you know as, as you enter big 10 play you still haven't kind of gotten those things figured out. I mean, the defense is another thing, too, that I know is just maddening for the staff. They had 36 errors all of last season, and I think they're getting really close to that number through 19 games.
0: All right, we'll finish with this. BC, what's the trash can situation like at Target Field? Is that why Carlos Correa wanted to Hmm. end up with the Twins?
1: I see how it is. Um, Yeah, you know what? We've all committed sins in the past, and <laughs> I, I forgive. I, I don't have a big a deal with those Astros as I used to. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I we, what we, happened. Yeah. We, for those who don't know, we got Carlos Correa, and, and Schaefer is concerned about it. No, he's probably not because we still don't have pitching. Uh, but we are going to win 73 games and be interesting with Carlos Correa and uh, Byron Buxton playing half of them and uh, then we will lose Carlos to somebody else next year. But that's that's all right. Uh, his, his job is to fill that role for a year while they get Royce Lewis uh, ready behind the scenes. I I expect a trade
0: happens this week between Brunce's team and your team for the, the aforementioned pitching. Would you rather get Sean Manaya or Frankie Montas, who is also a cheater, and he can join Carlos Correa and Jorge Polanco and everyone else in
1: Minnesota who has... My goodness. No moral fiber. All right. Um, I want Frankie. Oh, Nelson Cruz is gone. I forgot about him. I want Frankie. um, Frankie Montez. Did I pronounce it right, Bruns?
0: Yeah, that's right. I I have to take shots because my very clean Cleveland Guardians have spent exactly $46 million. None this offseason other than just arbitration and money they already owed. And they have signed no one but a backup catcher, so that's what I got going for me.
1: Br- Brunson's A's like do this where they they'll give everybody away, and you're like, do they even have a roster to field? And then they'll end up like in the wild card chase. You know, they'll be right there. That, that's okay. just how they are. Kevin Mark- Smith is going to be the yeah. uh, the AL rookie of the year, a guy that you yeah. know,
0: I just heard of last week. He's going to be the new Matt Chapman, Josh Donaldson, Matt Holiday. Who who else has come out of Oakland that no one heard of until? after mm-hmm. one of their famous fire sales.
1: We laugh, but that's exactly what happens. Bronze says an outsider. I can see it. You guys always do this, and it's like, oh, look at the A's. who They don't even have a team, and then they whip everybody's butt. They go on like a 14 of 16 streak at some point.
2: The, 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 my first act of spring training when the A's posted their lineup for their first game was to to basically – I had to Google half the lineup, um, and they ended up winning 10 to 8. So there's that. But mm-hmm. I – uh I think everybody that's the anybody that cares about Oakland is uh, now just concerned about the stadium situation and whether or not the A's are going to be playing in Vegas very soon. So we get, we've, we've got bigger, bigger things afoot. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I think there's somebody at my front door, so it is time for us to end this podcast <laughs> and uh, we will catch you next week. with Hustle. be safe. 24-7.